0: Good morning, everybody. Linda Crew was due to read the lesson this morning. She's not very well at the moment. It was possible that Kay would take her place. Kay is not very well at the moment either. So, could we please remember Kay and Linda in your own personal prayers? They're just struggling a little bit. Can we ask that God will bless them and keep them healthy? The reading this morning is taken from Luke 14, verses 15 to 24, the parable of the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see to it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another one said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will get a taste of my banquet.
1: good morning. Let me add my welcome to that uh, that you've received from others, whether you're here in person or you're watching on a screen. It's lovely to have you join with us. In our morning sermons uh, during the the summer period, we're exploring uh, a lot of Luke's parables or the Jesus's parables that he records uh, in Luke's gospel. And uh, today we come to uh, another one where we find out there's a bit of a twist in the tale. I recently had a picture framed, and I was amazed at how much the frame and the surround on the picture enhance the picture itself. And so it is with this parable. If we look at how the parable is framed, what's going on around it, actually our understanding of the parable is enhanced. So if we'd read the preceding verses, we'd have found out that Luke said that Jesus was at a Pharisee's house on the Sabbath. Now, at that point, all sorts of sirens, alarm bells, and warning signals should be going out for us, because Jesus had the reputation of being unconventional at best, or being a Sabbath breaker at worst. And Luke tells us Jesus saw a man that we would describe now as having serious fluid retention. And he asked, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? Uh-oh, another warning. This time those around him were silent. They were in a pickle. They knew that it, they would look really bad if they said Jesus shouldn't heal a man because that's what he had been doing in the past but they were unable to bring themselves to admit that Jesus actually was right. So Jesus healed the man and reinforced what he'd said about the Sabbath when he'd healed the woman, which we looked at last week. And then Jesus challenged people not to have an inflated opinion of themselves. He challenged them about their hospitality, Jesus was pointing out that we should bless other people for their sake rather than for what we might get out of it. And then a guest who had an inflated view of himself decided, in my view, to show off. He says to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Uh oh, again. The fuse has been lit, run away, hide. Jesus is about to tell him what he thinks. We're going to explore the parable that Jesus told in response to that man by asking ourselves, who are we in this story? First of all, we're going to look at the self-important guest. I imagine but as this guest blurts out the declaration about being blessed to be at the feast in the kingdom of God, they were actually feeling quite smug. I mean, after all, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. Surely they were on safe ground here. I think they were kind of expecting the first century equivalent of a high five, but Jesus left them hanging. The feast of the kingdom of God isn't really about heaven. It's about being honoured by God. Banquets were often used as an image of being blessed by God, being close to God, being honoured by God. So for example, if you read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. psalm, it ends with God preparing a banquet for David in the presence of his enemies. Now, when Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, he was speaking about us being with God, being on God's side, being aligned with God, putting God first. So, the feast of the kingdom of God is actually about those who put God first and enjoy fellowship with Him and find that in doing so they are honored by Him. Probably not what the man meant, he probably had in mind heaven. Now, bear in mind that Jesus has just been talking about not having an inflated view of yourself, so this wasn't going to end well for him when he comes across as having an inflated view of himself. But as Jesus began his story, I reckon the guest was feeling quite good about things. And maybe as the story goes on, they're nodding sagely, maybe they gasp with indignation, when the rude guests made their excuses and didn't come to the banquet. That's bad form. Just before we go on, I think we ought to ask ourselves whether there are times when we make sure other people notice us, particularly when we're doing something for God. Are my motives to love God and love my neighbour or to be seen by others to love God and love my neighbor? In our church, do we make sure that the right hand really does know what the left hand is doing? Let's get back to this guest for a moment. I wonder, I wonder, at what point in the parable did this guest realize that Jesus was telling the parable about them? that they were one of the rude guests in the parable who decided they weren't coming to the party after all. Maybe we're one of the invited guests. Nowadays, many of us use electronic diaries or we've got watches, and they remind us of the time when an event is coming up so that we're not late. Because in Jesus' time, all they had to measure time was the passage of the sun across the sky every day. It's not an exact science. So, invitations to an event such as this banquet would be issued in two stages. First of all, would you like to come when it happens? And then, when it's ready, as Jesus said, the servant is sent out to tell everyone, right, it's now, we're ready for you, come. So the guests in Jesus' story knew about the banquet. It wasn't a surprise to them. They could have said no thank you when they were invited, but they chose not to and instead gave these really weak and feeble excuses at the very last minute, actually kind of a slap in the face for the host. And these three weak excuses actually match attitudes that we've already seen as we've been looking at some of Jesus' teaching and parables. Parables. The first excuse was that they just bought a field and they needed to go and check it. You wouldn't buy a property, sight unseen, unless you've got far more money than cents. This person was actually saying that their possessions, their wealth, were more important to them than being at this banquet, more important to them than the host. And it's an attitude that Jesus parodies in the story of the rich fool we looked at a few weeks ago when Jesus was parodying and and pointing out how people can rely on things and money for their security. Apparently prioritizing property. Now, even if you had been foolish enough to buy a field sight unseen, they didn't need to check it out right then, did they? I mean, it's not as if the field was going anywhere. It was an excuse. In effect, they were saying, I don't care about you. The second guest needed to go and test drive his five yoke of oxen. That's five pairs of oxen that would have been coupled together and used to plough a field. Five pairs of oxen would have been expensive, like buying a top-of-the-range tractor, Would you really spend that amount of money on these oxen without at least seeing them in action first? Now, those oxen would be used for helping to secure that person's livelihood, probably as a farmer. So you could say that this person was putting their job and their income above coming to the banquet. And in the context of talking about the rich fool, Jesus spoke and reminded people that if God supplies the food for ravens and clothes, flowers so beautifully, surely we can trust him for those sorts of things. And even if they had bought five yoke of oxen without a test drive, surely there was no urgency to go and test drive them right now, was there? In effect, they were saying, I don't care about you to the host. Now, we might have a little bit of sympathy for the third guest. I mean, they've just got married. Surely the host wasn't expecting them to cut short their honeymoon. But they would have known about the wedding a long way in advance. They could have declined the invitation when it was issued. Previously, when Jesus had spoken about the cost of following him, he'd said some really hard things, that actually following him should even take priority over our family. God first, family second, everything else third. This person had got things in the wrong order, and in the context of this story, are basically saying, like the other two, I don't care about you, to the host. The message of this parable from these three guests who decided not to come is clear. They didn't care. And when we remember that this self-important guest was talking about the feast of the kingdom of God, being part of God's forever family, actually the meaning of the parable becomes even clearer. These people f- stood for those who ruled themselves out of a relationship with God, because other things or other people are more important than God. As is so often the case with Jesus and his parables the point he was making was that the religious people of his day were those who were missing out these guests stood for the religious people the people who'd been criticizing him for healing on the sabbath the people for whom rules were more important than a relationship with god people who thought they were special just because they were in the in crowd And, says Jesus, if they don't want to be part of his kingdom, God will grudgingly, sadly, accept it. He won't like it, but he won't force them to be part of the banquet. I think this is an example of how God actually judges. Sometimes we think of God's judgment as him like a judge. And we come before him, and he's there with his gavel ready to condemn But actually, I think God's judgment is simply him saying, if that's what you've chosen, then I will honor your decision. If you don't want to be with me, then I'll accept that choice. He doesn't condemn us to miss out on an eternity with him. He allows us to choose and then says, so be it. He would love everyone to accept that invitation. I've said before, but let's just bear in mind that Jesus was talking to the religious people of his day. And whenever he does, we as church need to take particular notice. Are there things that we are doing that are prioritising anything above our relationship with God. This parable is a warning to us. Be careful, don't miss out. What Jesus was trying to do, what he wants us to continue doing, is to make people aware of what they're missing out on. And it's not just heaven when you die, but it's, now, it's life now, as it's meant to be lived. Not pie in the sky when you die... Or even not just steak on the plate while you wait, but being nourished as we flourish in his service. I couldn't find something to rhyme with flourish. Let's look at this poor old servant. I feel really sorry for them. First of all, they have to go out and tell everyone, there's a party, please come. And then when it's ready, they have to go out again and hear all these excuses and know that the master is not going to be pleased when they come back. So then they go out and invite more people, they come back, well there's still space, go out again. Jesus wants us to be like that servant, inviting people to his party. And yes, there will be some who won't want to come, but there are always more for us to invite. So I think one of the things that this parable makes me think about is, who am I inviting? Who are we inviting to the banquet? Who are we inviting into a relationship with God? The people the servant was commissioned to go out and get were the very people that in Jesus' day were on the margins of society or beyond. The people the religious people of the day had rejected. Poverty, disability, they were believed to be signs that God had cursed you, you weren't welcome. But in Jesus's story, these are the ones who are welcomed into the party. The parable reminds me of one of the churches I used to serve in Essex. In Southend, a church was planted to reach out to students and young adults, but regardless of what they did, they just weren't reaching any students or young adults, and the leaders were really really concerned and one day the minister and one of the leaders were praying in the shop that they used as the cafe for this church praying that God would bring people to them because otherwise they were going to give up it was a cold day it was wet I think the the windows were a bit misted up and as they prayed a homeless man knocked on the door can I come in and warm up Now, he was interrupting the prayer meeting, but reluctantly they agreed and they gave him a cup of tea. And after a little while, he he said thank you and left. And they got down to praying again that God would bring people to them. A few minutes later, he's back with his friends. And as they opened the door and made cups of tea for all of these people, the minister and the leader realized that God had answered their prayer. And the church became a church almost exclusively for the homeless and the dispossessed of South End. Through this parable, Jesus asks us some really tough questions. To whom do we give hospitality, as church and as individuals? Who's missing from church? Not just Sunday services, but from all that we do. Who is missing? Who is excluded? Are there people who have explicitly been told or have somehow received the message that God's not interested in them? Are there people that churches have made unwelcome who've now got the idea that God doesn't love them? How do we ensure that everyone gets an invitation? When the servant was sent back out that second time, they were given the instruction to compel people to come in. Now, it's not an instruction to drag them in, kicking and screaming, but to show what you might call insistent hospitality. I love Father Ted, the TV program, and in it, the housekeeper, Mrs Doyle, has what you would call insistent hospitality. She offers someone a cup of tea, and if they say no, she goes, oh, go on, 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 and keeps going until eventually they gave in. I'm not saying we nag people into the banquet, but what persistent, persuasive invitations are we giving? How compelling are we in our invitations? Do we give up after a couple of tries? And going alongside those invitations, how persistent are we in our praying for those who maybe have felt excluded? Of course, there are others in the passage we haven't considered yet those who got the invitation when the first guests rudely declined. Jesus told this parable with a really deep meaning for the religious people of his day. The feast of the kingdom of God is for everyone. The self-important guest who triggered the telling of this parable would have imagined it as a Jews-only event. The Jewish people believed that their heritage, their religious observant, meant that they were special and everybody else was excluded. They had a term for everybody else, the Gentiles. But what Jesus was saying in this parable and what he enacted in his life was that even as some of the religious people were rejecting his invitation, God was extending it to Everybody, as he had originally intended. The invitation is for the whole world. He doesn't exclude anybody. The kingdom of God is much bigger and broader than we could ever imagine. Everybody is invited to the feast. And that includes you. If you feel like you've been excluded, if church has given you the impression that God isn't interested in you, then the message of this parable is that God's banquet is for you. You're invited. You're welcome. And I am sorry if you've been treated in such a way that it has almost inoculated you against church. Don't ignore God's invitation to his banquet. A little later here in our service, we're going to share bread and wine, a foretaste of the feast. And this banquet is ready for everybody. Everybody is invited. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, when you told these parables at one level, they're just good stories, but when we dig into them, we realize that you meant so much more. And we pray that as this parable has spoken to us, that you will help us not simply to listen to it and to nod and go, oh yes, that's good, but help us to take action. If there are people that we need to be inviting, Lord, give us opportunity, courage, and the words to say, the persistence to keep inviting to the banquet. If we are at risk of excluding ourselves, limiting our involvement, Lord, we pray, help us to receive the invitation and to accept it wholeheartedly. And if we are those who have been on the outside, who felt like the invitation was not for them, may we this morning hear the invitation that is for us to be part of all that you would have for us as individuals, for us as a church, that the kingdom of God is open to all. And as we come in a moment to eat bread and drink wine together in remembrance of you, Lord Jesus. We pray that your spirit will minister to us even as we eat and drink to remind us that we're included and that we're welcome. So is everyone else. Amen. Amen.